This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to Asian Insider, a podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm your host, Nirmal Ghosh. Now, it looks like China and the United States, after their relationship hit the rocks in the last quarter of 2022, and then again briefly in recent weeks over the balloon incident, may be getting back to at least talking to each other. I say maybe because it is clear that the relationship is pretty fragile and in fact volatile, and it does not take much to derail it. Now, to discuss this, I have joining me today from here in the States, Joshua Kolansik, Senior Fellow for Southeast Asia at the Council on Foreign Relations, and from Singapore, Dr. Adrian Ang, Research Fellow at the Rajaratnam School of International Studies in Singapore. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining me. Good to see you. Thank you. Thank you, Nama. So, Dr. Ang, uh, if I may start with you, we may see U.S.-China diplomatic contacts back on track soon, which may prove that the balloon episode was a bump in the road. A serious bump, but still only possibly a bump. Therefore, what lies in store for the longer relationship? Are these two powers actually learning the painful process of how to live with each other? I think that's right. So, you know, why the Blinken visit to Beijing was important was, you know, after the summit between President Xi and and President Biden in Bali, both sides were searching for a base in the relationship, right? It's it's sort of to stabilize the relationship. And this was going to be an important step in stabilizing the relationship. But of course, right, sort of the, uh, the fallout of the balloon incident meant that there was great domestic pressure on the administration to cancel Secretary uh, Blinken's visit. So both sides are still trying to find stability or, or base in the bilateral relationship. So a bit like heavyweight boxers circling each other. Yes. So, you know, we have disagreement about, you know, whether, you know, this is Cold War 2.0 or not. But again, I, I think a reasonable analogy is, you know, this is, right, sort of both sides still trying to figure out the parameters of the relationship, the parameters of competition, if we will, right? So, and and I think, you know, what we're also trying to, both sides are trying to figure out is what are the mechanisms for communication and also more importantly, right, sort of crisis management if things get out of hand. Crisis management, yes. Uh, so, Mr. Kralansik, what are your thoughts on that, the dynamics of the relationship going forward? Are you confident that both sides can handle uh, the crises that crop up from time to time? Uh, not at all. I mean, I think it's already had several incidents in which there were crises and um, when the United States called, the Chinese side did not pick up. Um, so there is no real dedicated hotline where you can really confirm that both sides are going to pick up there was, the way there was in the latter period of the Cold War with the United States and the Soviet Union. So I would have no confidence in that whatsoever. And the Biden administration may be searching for some base, maybe, in the relationship. And maybe she was too, uh, as signified by sort of subtle signals to back off some of the wolf warrior diplomacy, maybe. But I think that if you look at it at, from the broader view, uh, Biden's China policy is actually extremely tough. It's actually much tougher than Trump's China policy because Trump's China policy, while 
he stated a lot of tough things, some of them actually overtly racist. His China policy was all over the place and not coherent necessarily in its toughness, whereas Biden's policy has, in addition to not being state making overtly racist statements, which is good, has been consistently tough and coherent in a way that Trump's hasn't. And I think that's only likely going to increase in the run up to 2024 and with the current Congress. So uh, certainly a line of communication, even in the, the worst period, is always going to be good and would be valuable. But I don't have very high expectations that the relationship is going to improve, and I think it's probably going to deteriorate. Good that you brought up Congress, uh, uh, Josh, because I'm going to ask Dr. Ang. Dr. Ang, we have a lot of China hawks in Congress in D.C., of course, and you know the general atmosphere has been described as you know somewhat hysterical. If you take the media, cable TV news, watched by millions of Americans on an almost daily basis, refers to China as an adversary or even an enemy. Now, the new House China Committee will be putting pressure on the administration to be tougher on China. In fact, they have a live hearing at prime time on February the 28th. Is there more risk associated with this going forward over the next two years as domestic politics becomes more intense in the U.S.? I think that's right. I think Josh is, is, is very right that there is going to be uh, domestic pressure, uh, especially from the Republicans on the administration on China. But again, you know, looking at the, the, the issue, I think, in the longer run, you know, this really isn't very new. The Republicans are sort of, you know, dusting off, you know, sort of a Cold War playbook, right? Sort of accusing the, you know, they accuse the Democrats of being, you know, soft on communists, right? So the dynamic, I think, isn't new, right? Sort of the context, of course, is, is new. And I think we're going to see, you know, certain incidents, possible incidents in, in, in the near future that are going to put strains on the bilateral relationship. So the the, the chair of, of the House committee has said that he plans to visit Taiwan uh, later this spring, which of course will, will, will strain uh, bilateral relations with uh, Beijing. And of course, Speaker McCarthy has promised that he will visit Taiwan as well. So, you know, for, I think for countries in Southeast Asia, right, one of the the difficulties that we see in the bilateral relationship and where you know the countries in the region do not have agency is the state of domestic politics in both the United States and China. Right, so it is difficult for the countries to have any agency in terms of the the political dynamics that are happening in in, in both countries. Josh Kralansik, your thoughts on that? Well, I would disagree that it's a Republican thing. I think that uh, China is actually the last bipartisan issue in which there's consensus in the United States. I mean, I think that Republicans aren't pushing something on Democrats. I think their the state of views about China is, spans a very broad spectrum, and there is a very wide range of consensus on a whole wide range of issues, including brutal human rights abuses, trade policy, genocide in Xinjiang and many other issues. I think let's recall that Kevin McCarthy is a speaker now, but it was the previous speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, herself a lifelong advocate of a very tough China policy, who uh, visited Taiwan earlier. I don't think there's very much daylight between Democrats and Republicans. You have everyone from the most left-leaning Democrats almost to people uh, like the head of the new head of the China committee who are 
tend to be pretty tough on China. Their reasons may vary, but um, I don't think it's a Republicans pushing Democrats thing. I think it's actually the last issue of bipartisan consensus left in Washington where there isn't much consensus on anything anymore. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Uh, do you do you think um, uh, what you know China has been saying that the U.S. overreacted? Now you have a lot of uh, speculation here, of course, in the states about the that the U.S. needn't have you know shot down three other unidentified objects. And I, I saw a report that the Chinese social media is uh, kind of laughing a scornful at the United States. Of course, social media is social media in any country and uh, not really a, a definitive indicator. But still, it, it shows the mood of the public in some respects. And do you think the administration has come out looking good from this? Or do you think it was, it was driven by politics, by domestic politics, and it, this, that sort of factor could get worse? I mean, I think the balloon got a little out of hand. But I mean, I think at the other, on the other hand, you know, you could ask the question of whether it's some sort of signal that China is trying to, you know, show that they can do X, Y, and Z and not, if there was no response provoked, then they would uh, probably go out and say they did this with no, and got no response. And therefore the United States is delinquent and protecting its own borders. So no real great solution. Um, you know, I think to that, I don't, I frankly don't think, and I think that the, the relevant issue as, of it is it that why was the decision made to do this while at the same time, it seemed to be that uh, Xi Jinping was looking for some desire to back off a little bit from the wolf warrior diplomacy. He appointed a clearly non-wolf warrior type as foreign minister, the previous ambassador to Washington. So why do this now? Maybe he doesn't really want to reset things in terms of rapprochement. Maybe he wanted to try to create some sort of uh, little spike of nationalism, given that he completely mishandled COVID and there he had to crush protests around it. So it's a little bit befuddling. I mean, on the one hand, I mean, I think at a certain point, the U.S. had to do something. But um, the other question to ask is why, if he really did want to reset the relationship from a base, why why would China do this now? It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Right. Uh, Dr. Ang, back to you for a moment to respond to that. I think Josh brings up a good point. It was Nancy Pelosi leader of the Democrat Party, who uh, you know created the, the issue last August. And that visit was seen rather dimly in the region, if, I, uh, if you recall. Um, so there's not very much daylight between the two parties as such, although the Hawks have, have the, are in the ascendancy now, shall, shall we say, in, in Congress, right? Because it's under a Republican majority. Right. So I, I, I agree with Josh. So, you know, I think, you know, what is happening, of course, is a competitive dynamic between the two parties, right? Both sides are going to, uh, try to outhawk one another on, 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 on China again, right? So it's, it's, it's seen as a liability, right? To be soft on China. And I'd like to pick up on, on, you know, what Josh has said about the befuddlement about why is China doing what it did with the balloon? I think, you know, it speaks to the larger problem, you know, for us trying to look into China. There is opacity in the Chinese decision making process, right? So we, we really do not have a very good idea of, of what is going on in China. It may very well be the case that 
you know, CQ thing doesn't even didn't even know about the balloon program. So I, I think I, I just read that it's probably a, an initiative of the uh, strategic support force of the PLA. So I mean, it, it is possible that that it was for surveillance and reconnaissance. It's an ISR balloon, but it just got blown uh, off course and straight in, in, into the US. But again, right, we, we don't know for sure because nobody really knows what is going on in, in, in Beijing. Right. Um, I mean, one of the things that concerns me is that this is an example of the types of miscommunication and mis, uh, misunderstandings and miscalculations that can happen on either side. And if they don't pick up the phone and talk to each other, which was supposed to be uh, the case, then you know, this, this could get out of hand. But Joshua, if I may get back to you, you've written a bunch of books and you have a new book out. It's called Beijing's Global Media Offensive, China's Uneven Campaign to Influence Asia and the World. And that's a really fascinating subject. Give us a short take from the book, if you will. And tell me, the US is obviously beginning to push back. You see growing bands of TikTok, uh, for example. Yet the American system is an open one. The US hasn't banned TikTok, but... It's a possibility, but I, I, I don't think that that's likely the res result. I think you're probably going to see some uh, mid-range solution where co countries ask for TikTok to have their user data stored on servers in the countries. I don't think the Biden administration really wants to ban TikTok. It doesn't have to. But uh, yeah, the book is uh, looks at how China has um, increasingly tried to wield influence within other countries, um, societies, and politics all over the world, much more extensively than at any time in the past, except in some ways in Mao's era, but that was primarily limited to a handful of developing countries. Now, this is not new for Singapore. China has been a factor in Singapore's politics and society for a long time, as well as other Southeast Asian countries. But what's new is the extent and breadth of the in influence in domestic politics and societies well beyond Southeast Asia, including Australia, New Zealand, Europe, the United States, Canada, places where, you know, in the past when China was weaker, when they didn't have the extent of state media, where they didn't have as much influence over the local Chinese language media, where they simply didn't have the espionage and political influence that in other countries that they didn't do now, um, they just couldn't wield such influence in places like New Zealand, Australia, United States, Canada, Europe, etc. And so their influence was limited primarily to the, their own region, Southeast Asia, Taiwan, et cetera, maybe a little bit South Asia, well, Pakistan, certainly. Um, and the book looks at the ways in which they have tried to wield that influence. But it also concludes that a lot of their efforts to wield influence, particularly their state media, and some other efforts have actually backfired quite badly and led to actually quite tough responses, not only by the United States, but by Singapore for certainly with the laws on foreign interference in Australia, backlashes in Canada and Europe, where you're going to see similar legislation on foreign and inter influence in politics and probably similar legislation on um, limiting whether what foreign entities can invest in media and communications. Like you said, um, concern about TikTok, which is obviously China's by far globally most successful social media platform. Again, I don't think India has banned TikTok, but I don't think most liberal democracies are going to ban TikTok unless they absolutely have to. Um, and there's a political element as well. TikTok is enormously popular among young people in the United States. Those young people are crucial to the Democratic Party. They're crucial to Biden's 
re-election campaign, although he hasn't technically announced it yet. Um, I don't think he wants to be the president who bans TikTok. That that probably is not going to go over well with 18 to 35-year-olds. So I think they probably will try to come up with some solution with ByteDance, with the parent company, in which, like I said, user data is stored within countries. And that makes people feel more comfortable that user data can't be either monitored or censored by the Chinese Communist Party. Okay, interesting. Thank you very much. Uh, Joshua Kurlansik, Adrian Ang, thank you very much. That was a fascinating discussion and uh, look forward to uh, catching up again with both of you sometime. Thank you for joining me today on Asian Insider. Thanks, Nirmal. Thanks, Nirmal. So that nicely wraps this discussion up for the Asian Insider podcast. I'm your host, Nirmal Ghosh. Join me and my expert guests for the next episode, usually on the fourth Friday of every month. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.